The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for discovering Trek listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. Familiar planets, unfamiliar faces, and a release of pent-up frustrations with the crew. Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery continues to take us literally where no Star Trek show has gone before. Last week, Adira joined the crew and revealed an interesting secret. But what'll happen when the Discovery travels to Trill to get help in restoring her memories? Well, let's find out. Welcome aboard, everyone. Don't forget that my name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe Companion, presented by Fansets. Last week, Discovery returned to Earth, helped bring some semblance of peace to the area, and also welcomed a new member of the crew. And this week, they hope to unlock Adira's past host memories by heading off to Trill. But will they get the welcome and the help they need as they continue to search for the Federation? As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, entitled Forget Me Not. And trust me, if this one didn't make you ugly cry for most of the hour, then I don't even know who you are anymore. Uh, and hey, speaking of ugly, it's time to introduce my most trusted co-host, just like I do every week. I know that he's always been there to help me. I'm sorry, Bill. I didn't mean it. Um, to make sure, <laughs> he's always there to help me to make sure I make the right decisions and always think fondly of the many podcast memories we've made over the years. Uh, what's what's his name again? I I forget. Anyway, uh, he is my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. I'm only joking, my friend. You are Bill Smith. Welcome. And I don't know about you, man. I wept like a little baby in this one. Hi, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so, uh, that wasn't because of your intro. It's because oh. I watched this episode again. And, oh, my God. No, it's great to be here. Um, what an episode of Star Trek. And I, I don't even qualify it by saying Star Trek Discovery. What an episode of Star Trek. And I can't wait to talk about this one. Um, and of course, Dan joining us this week because it's his week to do so. And the custody arrangement is our good friend Casey Shasky. <laughs> Casey, welcome on board for this one, buddy. We hope you brought some Kleenex. Hey guys, I'm thrilled to be here this week. Oh, oh. you've been waiting all week for that, haven't you, buddy? I made it up like an hour ago. <laughs> did you write it down? <laughs> I did, because because it came and I go, I better remember this, otherwise I'm gonna be so mad afterwards. <laughs> God, I miss Sarah. Anyway, it's great to have you back uh, after uh, last week having the week off, and 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 you, we got you. I think it all worked out good that we get such a, a powerful episode to bring you to bring you back on and discuss it. Uh, before we do that, I'm already getting choked up as we prepare to discuss everything that happened this week. Uh, but we always want to hear from our listeners about their thoughts too. So, Bill, uh, how can they get in touch with us for their thoughts on Forget Me Not? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, there's a lot to unpack this week, and we would certainly love to hear your thoughts on it all. On Twitter and Facebook, all you have to do is search for Discovering Trek. We welcome your questions, comments, and even your original haiku. You can also leave us a voicemail by visiting our website at trekgeeks.com and clicking on the big blue button. Please do remember, though, that any comments you might leave us 
could be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thank you, Bill. Black Alert. Black Alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Episode 4 of Star Trek Discovery Season 3, stop listening right now, head on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery, watch the latest episode, then head back on over to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Forget Me Not. Episode 304 of Star Trek Discovery, Forget Me Not, is written by Alan McElroy and Chris Silvestri and Anthony Marinville and directed by Honolly Culpepper. Burnham and Adira visit the Trill homeworld in hopes of unlocking the secrets trapped within Adira's mind. Well, back on the USS Discovery, Saru's efforts to help the crew reconnect with one another take a surprising turn. Originally released on November 5th, 2020, it is the fourth episode of Star Trek Discovery's third season. Trainees, to the briefing room. Guys, here we are in the briefing room to start our discussion, as we do every week. Uh, Let's start with our high-level thoughts, thumbs up, thumbs down, and a quick uh, reason as to why. Casey, uh, we're going to start with you, my friend. What do you think? Thank you, sir. I've given it two thumbs up. I think we've got a, you know, four for four so far this season, and... It's a it's a very deep episode, and I I dug that so much. Absolutely, I too gave it two enthusiastic thumbs up last week. I was a little bit disappointed with the episode. I did give it a thumbs up, but barely. This week, all all in one hundred percent. It was incredible. It was emotional. Um, it it had great character development. So I'm back on the two thumbs up wagon, Bill. Uh, Same here. I'm going to run the table and also give it two thumbs up. This episode has the emotional resonance of Star Trek Deep Space Nine's The Visitor, an episode, Dan, that you and I have often referred to on Trek Geeks as Star Trek's finest hour. It It was a beautiful hour of television and probably one of Discovery's best episodes so far and one of Star Trek's best episodes so far. And I don't think that's that's selling it short. Wow, that is some amazing high praise, and I'm sure we're going to get into all the details as to why. So so let's start right in, and I think it's only um, apropos, I guess is the right word, to start off talking about Wilson Cruz right off the mm. bat, because we got Wilson Cruz right off the bat in this episode, and I think he was the glue in this episode that kept everything together. He was fantastic. Uh, it, I think this is the most we have had of Dr. Culber in the entire uh, series of discovery, even with him coming back to life uh, last year um, in the in the mycelial network, and it was great to hear him doing his medical log. It was great to see the emotion on his face when he was really seeing the pain that people were um, experiencing on the ship. And Casey, uh, let's let's start with you. Um, he really gives us insight into how this crew is doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you can see that. Oh, as he's strolling along the whole ship trying to assess what's going on with people and be, you know, a center of some type of comfort for them in whatever way works most possibly for them. It's that everyone is off and just like, you know, where you're just barely containing control of everything going on and you're, you feel like you're just about to go underwater and, and that he's walking around as, as 
the lifeboat, the lifeguard right there and offering help. And people are just not quite there yet. But man, what a performance. Mm. Yeah, it, 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 he really does great. I got a, I got a question for you, Bill. As, as I'm watching uh, Wilson in this episode, I got to say he is just a fantastic um uh fantastic looking guy he's he's someone i've always appreciated he just commands presence on the screen looking at him in that um starfleet medical uniform why on earth do medical uniforms on discovery be the color white <laughs> right <laughs> especially if there's a lot of blood and we saw that last week in the in the season opener and i was yeah. thinking that today for the first time instead of when it was actually happening is bad color choice in the wardrobe department there in starfleet or a really great one if you love <laughs> the effect of, of blood on white tunics um, I, I have to agree with casey i mean this crew is underwater and if you look at kayla detmer she's drowning and hugh culber has the uh, an unenviable task of trying to assess this crew's mental state and to try to help it. And his Wilson's voiceover during this whole section is just perfect because it, it gives us real insight into the crew's state of mind and how dire everything is. Um, it's not like your typical captain's log. There's a lot of emotion conveyed in his description of what's going on, which is followed up by the visuals. But I, I've never been so uncomfortable during an open of a Star Trek episode because I feel the crew's tension from his voiceover. Yeah, uh, speaking of, of visuals, it was great to see the medical scanner really, <laughs> yeah. really HD like. With, uh, <laughs> now with we have Discovery, it was good to see him. And you're you're absolutely right. You got to see a lot of other visuals about about the crew state when he was talking to the captain and showing the charts on the screen. And then he kind of just swipe right, and all the red was showing up. And they yeah. are not doing good. Yeah. The, if they were mice in a maze, they would be gnawing off their own tails. That was a line that really stuck out to me. And he even said, even you, Captain. Uh, so he's hiding it well, but Saru is going through uh, a lot of tough times um, right now, and uh, it didn't get any better for him, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, we, we, You touched on it a little bit, Bill. The crew's going through a lot. They've got they've dealt with loss. They've dealt with unknowns. They've got a future that they have no idea what's going to happen. The Federation is gone. All their loved ones have been dead for a thousand years. And you know that it's going to boil over at some point. Um, so we'll get into that boiling over uh, later on. But uh, let's move over to, over to another aspect of the episode, which was interesting and also had to deal with um, Dr. Culber as well. Another great scene with him um, and Sonequa Martin-Green, of course, is Michael Burnham. And that was in her quarters when he decided to ask her to take Adira down to the uh, uh, surface of Trill and and doctor called Michael a responsibility hoarder. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bill, let's talk about that for a second. Is that uh, assessment correct? Oh, it's, uh, ab- and- it's absolutely correct. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and why? Well, you know, you think of the last two seasons of Star Trek Discovery. Burnham has been the one to do everything and fix everything. Some people forget that Michael Burnham is the central character in this series, uh, which means she's going to be doing most of the things. Or at least the important things. It's why she was in the Red Angel suit. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's why she saved Earth from the Klingons and helped stop the war. And in this case, it's why she's going to go down a trill with Adira and help her navigate this particular situation. I think it was a great way to describe this character's quality and the fact that she does take too much on. But the thing it makes me wonder is, at what point is it too much? And at what point does she break? 
Exactly. One of the things I was wondering is, is her year that she's been alone, except with Book, going to help her prevent that break or going to make it worse if it happens? And Casey, a question for you in regards to that scene. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it was right for Culber to want her to go down based on his reasoning, or do you think that he should have done it? Now, we know through the episode that it turns out being the right decision, but what did you think when that scene first happened? Um, well, well, part of it is I, I, I think of things in a different way of, you know, for the show, when when your main star, how, how are you going to incorporate this character, <clears throat> excuse me, into the story? And I go, this this is the way to do it. And also to have another strong performance by a woman of color mm-hmm. that is, so you have scenes that aren't male dominated. <laughs> and that, as like Bill said earlier, you know, she she's had the weight of everything on her shoulders. And I think... Dr. Colbert can see what's going on that I think that year helped her to deal with everything and work out the stuff she was going to be working out and to be able to then empathize with another character who's, who's going through stuff right now instead of a year previously. Um, And, you know, kind of a older sibling, if you want mentor, gentle mentor role without being overtly, hey, I'm here to just look over you and and make sure you're okay. Yeah, I agree 100%. One of the things that stuck out to me later on was when Adira kind of put up her defense screens and said, the only reason you're trying to help me is because you want that message. You don't care what happens to me, which I was like, that's completely not true. That certainly is just a defense mechanism uh, put into play because you can see that connection that both characters have had since they they met last week. Um, so let's talk about Trill a little bit, guys. Um, it was great to return to Trill. We haven't been there since Deep Space Nine. Um, a lot going on in this episode uh, on Trill and what has happened to them with the burn. Um, they don't have any hosts or they, they don't have enough hosts for the symbionts. Uh, and this is now the first successful human host for a Trill symbiont, apparently. Or is it, Bill? Let's talk about that a little bit because a lot of people have been talking about, well, what's going on here? Riker had a had a symbiont put in him and TNG and the host. He did, but it wasn't exactly successful because it I wouldn't think so. Almost <laughs> killed him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the key word here really is successful. It's been since TNG 830 years or so. We'll say 800-ish years because it's 100 mm-hmm. years after TOS, um, roughly. So I... Maybe in that time, um, things have changed with the way the symbiont and the host graft with one another. Or maybe there's an aspect of Adira's lineage we don't know yet. What if there's some trill in her family tree? What if there's something that makes her naturally predisposed to be a host? Um, but still, I, I, you know, a lot of people are like, but can, and I'm like, wait a second. This is not anything that violates canon, and I hate that phrase. Um, because Riker's joining was far from successful in any way. Yeah, Casey, uh, what about you? What's your what's your position on this? Um, I uh, I agree with Bill 100. Um, percent Riker's experience was not a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I will say that through the course of the episode, with how the Trill respond to the fact that that Tal is now in Adira, they are are shocked because that's not supposed to happen. Symbionts are only for Trills, um, so. Mm-hmm. 
I was thinking possibly they have evolved so that they have trill uh, humans or other alien species to be able to have the same answer. Apparently that's not the case because they only want trills to be, but I was very interested to see how things progressed or degressed in this episode when it came to Adira having that symbiote. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll dive more into this a little later on in our episode here, but when you think about it and Adira says, you know, she... Pardon, yeah, she at this moment and Gray are orphans. Mm-hmm. That leaves things wide open, like what Bill is saying. So you don't know anything that's going on there. It's like when you know you found out, oh, Book isn't human, you know? <laughs> and Burnham's yeah. like, oh, yeah, the name, the name is what kind of, uh, oh, this guy's human. So, um, a thousand years or 930 years can change a lot of things for the good or not so good. And uh, Trill Trill is not in good shape here at all. Not at all. And um, I, I, I think we're seeing a, a good <clears throat> spread of their leadership of what is, what could be, and what's living in the past. Yeah. Um, you brought up something. I want to I just uh, put the discussion on the episode on hold for just a second to talk about something real quick. Um, you corrected yourself, but didn't have to with regards to the pronoun for the character of Adira. Now, everyone knows that Adira is the first non-binary character in Star Trek. And people were upset last week when Adira's character was referred to as she. So we want to make sure that everyone understands. We're not doing this um, by lack of disrespect or anything like that. Her character is being referred to as she right now. In an interview recently, uh, Blue Del Del Barrio discussed specifically that the character of Adira would be coming out as non-binary as the series progresses in the season, just like what happened with their real life experience, which ah, I think is brilliant mm. for the writing. Mm-hmm. They're letting, they've, they've let Blue have a lot of input into how this character is being developed, and that's why you're still hearing the pronouns that you're hearing. It's not a mistake on the writers. It's not a disrespect by anyone who says she instead of they. That's what it is right now, and you can be assured that once that quote coming out, and I really don't like that phrase, but that's what it's being referred to as, happens the pronouns will be correct on the show and mm-hmm. here on Discovering Trek. So I just wanted to make sure everyone understood that. Um, and it's another great example of the writing staff and the ability to let the, the actors that are playing these characters have their input into how they should be developed. So I just wanted to, to throw that out there. Absolutely. It speaks to you know proper representation. I'm glad that the writing staff um, decided to take the character on the journey because I think it's an important one. Absolutely. Yeah, Very important journey. Uh, um, so let's continue on that journey because when they first get to Trill, everybody's real happy. Yay, we got a we got a symbiote. We got a host back. Where are they? Right here. She's human. <laughs> oh, that's an abomination. Get out of here. Uh, that is, to me, and Casey, we'll start with you. That reminded me a lot of what I didn't like about last week's episode and that Earth had become so xenophobic. For that reaction, they're on the verge of collapse, as as they're as they say, and they have a a host and a symbiont that is still alive that has the possibility to help with the with the rebuilding of their culture, and they don't at, at first they don't care. 
this isn't supposed to happen. It's it's disgusting. It's an aberration. Get off our planet, and and we don't care what happens. I was very shocked with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll bring this up now. So this this was, for me, the whole, like, Trill Commissioner Voss, you know, first shows up, seems charismatic, caring, just excited as, as can be that we've got somebody coming down okay to to help our culture our community um and then once we're on the planet man i got huge charles Lindbergh vibes from commissioner voss of just isolationism and how like Lindbergh was america first that voss was trill first uh and you know the 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 difference between voss and then Guardian Z, who they they both know that Trill is headed towards a final collapse. But it was, you know, Guardian Z that realizes that the strict adherence to quote-unquote tradition will literally destroy the culture and customs of Trill because they don't have enough hosts. It Things are going to die off. And if you just stay holding on to tradition for tradition's sake, not the meaning. What is the deeper meaning here? If you just hold on for the sake of it, it's it's lost and gone already. Um, you know, and e- even the other leader who, who, who then wants to be a mentor later on, it's like you just see how... I just keep coming back to isolationism on this and that was that was stunning yeah you're right it's like the trill have become a monastic cult and it's it's not just trill first but i mean they've circled the wagons to the point where um their xenophobia and isolationism are almost a religion and like you said casey it's it's about to do them in unless they make a, a a serious sea change in the way they approach trill society and Adira represents everything that is right and wrong with, with what they want to do. So I get why there's an aspect or an element of they say that, that Adira is an abomination because it completely takes their society and it upends it. I mean, mm-hmm. they've circled the wagons. They're, they're trying to m- preserve themselves. And this is a threat to that way of life. But they've cut off their nose to spite their face. Um, their way of life is is coming to an end because they're trying to maintain their way of life. And and Z understands what needs to be done. And I gotta say, yeah. I thought his character was was awesome. Yeah, I, I love yeah, I love Guardian Z. So so he takes Adira and and Burnham to the to the pools uh, or the caves. And um, let's talk about what was the the weep like a baby, ugly cry part of this episode which i've watched it a few times and each time it's just i'm i'm just a mess and that's adira's memories there's a reason why she can't remember the other host's memories and it needs to be unlocked so both uh, adira and burnham get sucked down into the pool and and end up in a uh kind of unbelievable special effects room (laughs) um and we get to see these memories and bill let's talk about that for a second um like you had mentioned, we only get about 10 minutes of these characters together in their relationship. But, oh, my God, what an unbelievable 10 minutes. You know, it's it's like working through repressed memories. You know, people who go through intense trauma go through this this sort of um, 
a treatment called EMDR, which helps them unlock and process the memories that are key to their trauma so they can try to move past it. And this to me was very analogous to that. Um, what we learn as far as Adira and Gray's relationship was just so truly beautiful. You know, like, you, like you said, it's less than 10 minutes, but we learned more about those two people in those 10 minutes than we learn about entire other characters in other series in Star Trek. It was a real relationship. It was beautiful and heartbreaking all at the same time. And I can understand why that mental block would be there for Adira now. Right. Um, uh, one of the things that I loved about those scenes, as heartbreaking as they were, was the chemistry between the actors. They really connect and you and and you can see it um with with gray and adira um right from the you know from the beginning when they're when they're teasing each other and and showing their love for each other and the gift of the of the quilt right up to when what appeared to be an at the first time i saw it i thought it was some kind of like smoke screen force of some kind didn't realize until i watched it the second time that it looked like an asteroid hit the ship or something yeah. like that some kind yeah. of planetary uh something or other uh and then the the shard sticking out of out of gray and 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 what was icy cold was when the medical um droids were saying that oh yeah the the host the no, life science failing he's not going to survive oh but this but the symbiont's okay so what do we want to do with that i mean it's it's it was it was cold, but it was it it was really needed for that scene. And I'm going to get into this in a little bit with our sensor analysis. But Adira didn't even bat an eye. No, put it in me. I'll take him. And and that's what I'm going to talk about later on in, in sensor analysis. But it was it was great. Um, Casey, as as heartbreaking and beautiful as those scenes were, and I was crying tears of sorrow. I was then crying tears of happiness for when all of the hosts showed up. Um, everyone, uh, especially uh, Zenital and then Gray. Those scenes with those hosts all looking so proudly at Adira and then giving the, the symbol, whatever, that the, the, the crossing of the arms. That was the moment for me that I loved the most in this episode. How about you? I, you know, with with those scenes... What impressed me the most was the work of the two youngest actors there. Mm -hmm. So you've got one actor who's in mid-20s, one that I believe is 19-ish. And and sometimes with younger actors, there's just not a depth there yet. And watching this, and especially the work with Blue where there were tonal shifts and uh, beyond things in, in her eyes uh, that for her, that the character of Adira for her, you could see the workings going on in the eyes. And then the, the action that blue was taking of their eyes of, I'm going to, I'm going to embody this and embrace it fully. Um, was so wonderful to see with young actors that then are working with others. And like you said, you know, it's kind of this uh, walking out of memories of, you know, ancestors we've lost that now we get to see and interact with for a bit. Um, and it just resonates 
So, you know, Blue and Ian just, God, way to go. It was the kind of moment I wish Jadzia could have had on Deep Space Nine, the way it was done. Um, not just the effects, but the whole circle aspect of it, because I think it oh, would have great. brought a lot home. I, I, it's one of the most emotional moments of that particular episode. Where, you know, uh, the way they did it for Jadzi at the time, it fit with the technology, it fit with the budget, but it was so much more powerful this week in Forget Me Not. I, I agree. The circle was great. That whole scene was was just so powerful. But I got to say, what was almost more powerful for me was when they got out of the pool and Adira went up to Guardian Z yeah. and Guardian Z said, speak your names. And she <laughs> rattled them off one after another and ended with, and I am Adira Tao. That was, I'm getting choked up right now just thinking about yeah. it because it was mm-hmm. such a great moment when you saw the pain in everyone's faces when they arrived at Trill, when he said, speak your names. And she's like, yeah, hi, I'm Adira. That's all I got. <laughs> and, and to see that knowing that their society could now be saved because of this human who was an abomination 20 minutes ago uh, yeah. was really a, an, mm-hmm. an, a very important moment in this episode. So lots of things going on, Trill. But hey, there's some fun stuff going on in Discovery too, isn't there? Ooh, oh, boy, a little, bit of t- little bit of tension. I'm oh. going to need to get some, uh, I don't know, some therapeutic coloring books out of this one. <laughs> we, I got I to... I, I got to hand it to Doug Jones and the character of Saru like I do every week. He wants to help, and he does what he thinks is going to help by bringing the, the senior staff together for that dinner. And, oh, did that turn into a bleep show, like, really fast. And let's talk about that scene. Um, Bill, let's start with you, man. And let's just get right down to what was the the meat of that dinner, no pun intended, and that's <laughs> Detmer and her haiku and what she started out with and her and how she did it uh, and and what happened afterwards. Well, guess who's coming to dinner? It's anger and resentment. <laughs> that, that's who it is. Um, and there's enough to go around for everybody. Um, they don't need to replicate anymore. Uh, I theorized a couple of weeks ago that that Detmer had PTSD. Um, I think that's confirmed with this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, she absolutely is having a hard time letting any of that go because she did fly that ship like a boss and save everybody. Um, but everything is piled up on top of her. She's not all right. And everybody else now is starting to realize it. Her headbutting with Stamets is, is probably the greatest illustration of it because they're both upset and angry and affected for the same reasons. And like anybody else with PTSD, sometimes you take it out on your family members and you don't mean to. Um, but uh, when she starts going through her haiku, it goes from uncomfortable to, whoa, hold on there in about yeah. you know two and a half seconds. Yeah, and I, I got to say, at the beginning of the episode, when I was watching it with Sue, you have Tilly and Stamets in engineering, and she's got a great idea that she really wants to run by him. And he's he's being kind of uh, first time we saw Stamets attitude. Yes. Yep. I'm better than you are. Yes. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. And I, I said there, I said, I said, this is like season one Stamets right now. What is going on? I got to say, what you said, Bill, really helps understand what can be going through people's minds at times like that. Because at first I'm like, where is Detmer getting this? She, what is, what is, what's her problem with Stamets? But then he turned right around and gave it right back to her. And I loved how she called the ship a monster. 
Yeah. I thought that was really a interesting point to see where her mind is. She's a pilot. She's supposed to be great, but she had to land that monster. And I thought that was an interesting insight into her thoughts at the moment. But Stamets' anger, Casey, surprised me. Well, I shouldn't say it surprised me because she was really being a jerk to him. But at the same time, you saw that superiority complex that he sometimes has come out there, and then everything just snowballed. Yeah. Well, I, I, I kind of... I didn't enjoy it, but I was glad they showed that the Stam- he's been changing, but he's not this completely different character within this certain amount of time. Um, so he still has the ego that that's going on, but has learned that his ego doesn't help him as much as he thinks it does. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of us at some point have been at that dinner. Oh, you yeah. know, and <laughs> oh yeah, and I I find it also that because because you can talk stuff to family members because there's still a safe zone there that you can get off your chest, off your mind, and they can be very harsh things stated, but that you know or could know that all right, you know, after everybody cools down. I won't be held to the, to the crud I said in anger. People will realize mm-hmm. that I'm hurting and that I, I blew it and I'm sorry, but I'll be held accountable, but also held up. I think it's Stamets' defense mechanism. We see it in season one, and it happens mostly because Lorca's on board and the two of them clash. So Stamets has this, uh, Dan, you referred to it as a bit of a superiority conflict, uh, a complex. And I think that's probably the best description of it. I think he's going back to that now because he is vulnerable. He was just impaled by, you know, a, a giant shard of the ship. And he did go right back to work hours later. Um, I, I think that this is the way he's manifesting that same insecurity and those feelings that Detmer is, is just happening in a different way. For him, it's the only way he knows how to deal with it is to isolate himself in that manner. Okay. Two very quick points I want to make in regards to this dinner scene, and then I want to move on um, because we still have a few things to talk about here in the briefing room. Do you think that, and I don't think this, I'm just wondering because I thought of it. um, Do you think that it has become kind of the norm on Discovery for um, Tilly to be the one that drops profanity? Because I'm seeing that more and more, and it's kind of like, come on. Like, cause she calls everybody a holes in this at the table, which which I thought was awesome. But at the same time, she was the first person to drop an f bomb. She she and Stamets have things going back and forth on top. She always seems to be that person, and I'm just wondering if it's kind of is it being done on purpose or is it being done because it works so much for her character, which is what I would lean towards more if I had any kind of a problem with it. What do you think, Bill? I think it's native to her character. I, th- I think it speaks to her youth. I think it mm-hmm. speaks to her, I don't want to say inexperience because that's not the right word, but um, her lack of time and space working among a crew. I think as as time goes on, she's done it less and less. Um, but I think there are still those moments where it just seems like normal conversation to her. Right. Um, and uh, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. And and yeah. please, don't anybody think that I have a problem with profanity in Star Trek. It's They're human beings. It's normal. And anybody who listens to me when we're not recording knows that I, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Cut the her other mouth. thing I wanted, to, exactly. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask, and I'll I'll get this opinion from Casey. I really thought 
uh, Michelle Yeoh was wasted at the dinner table. I didn't care for how she, did, you know, Saru's doing, I know it's her character and she's from the mirror universe, which I should love, but Saru's giving a very profound speech about being together and she breaks it up by stabbing whatever the heck she stabbed. I don't know if it was a, you know, a targ claw or something like that. Um, and I just thought that her insincerity that we always see with this character really was a little bit over the top in this particular episode in the scene. It was kind of pulled back a little bit at the end with the popcorn, but what do you think? I think uh, I think you're dead on on that, but I also think it's a little bit of a mask that she puts on. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we... she doesn't want to have anybody realize that she knows she's stuck there too with all of them and has feelings and may start really to be having concern for others and i think that concerns her as a character so it's gonna be the yeah the 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 this she didn't need to be in that scene but she was and part of that i think is to go there's just this front that's being put there that isn't sincere but she wants everybody to think she's still the stone-faced badass from the mirror universe yeah, uh, I I can I can get down with that. So before the 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 disastrous dinner, Saru is talking to the computer about ideas, and the computer is giving him crazy things like I talked about earlier, the coloring book and yoga and this that and the other thing. And then all of a sudden, the monitors look a little funny, look a little familiar, yeah. and the computer sounds a little bit familiar. Bill, Zora, anybody? Calypso? What do yeah, you think? I'm still not a fan of it, but that's absolutely what it was. It was the same actress that providing the voice. That didn't Calypso, Annabelle Wallace. Um, I just, uh, I feel like they're shoehorning it in now. Um, because in in Calypso, we didn't see any programmable matter um, stations. Mm-hmm. We didn't see any upgrades to the ship other than Zora. So I almost feel like we're, uh, this is the sense I got. I'm not saying this is exactly what they're doing. I feel like we're, we're backtracking to shoehorn it in. And because there's the sphere data, we can do Zora now. Casey? Yeah, I, I always find it troubling uh, when when you do certain things to show the future and then you have to backfill later on. Mm-hmm. Um, it just narratively, it's it's a landmine because you, you either satisfy people who liked what you had done before or you tick off people who are like, ah, I don't want that again. Why Why are we revisiting that? It, it's just a really tough thing to deal with. What about you, Dan? Conversations. I, I, if you remember, as, as a matter of fact, here's a little interesting bit of trivia. As we record right now, it is Sunday, November 8th. Calypso aired two years ago tonight. Wow. Yes, November 8th. 2018 which is kind of interesting um if you remember back when we talked about it on short when we were doing the short treks episode i wasn't really a big fan of this episode a lot of people thought it was fantastic i really didn't like it because of it was a standalone it made no sense of course things make more sense now i like the idea i'm a little bit different than your opinion bill i like the idea of of finally getting a start to what we see is the discovery that we saw in calypso the computer, the sphere data is starting to merge and we're starting to get a little bit of that. I agree with you. It's shoehorning in right now, but I also like the fact that we're starting to get little bits of it. And I think 
fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you like that course of the storyline, it's going to start happening more and more. And maybe that will make it not be as shoehorned because maybe it'll be an increasingly important arc to the rest of the season. Don't know, but I, I didn't, I didn't mind seeing it there. Um, and I'm certain that we're going to see uh, a lot more of it going forward. Um, the last thing I want to talk about in the, in the, in the briefing room in this week is the, um, discussion about representation in Star Trek. Um, we have our first non-binary character and actor. We have our first transgender character and actor. Um, and there is some discussion going on out there in the, in the internets in regards to the death of gray and let, and I, I use air quotes when I say that. So Bill, let's, let's, let's go right to you because I know that you, that, that you have some discussion points in regards to this. People have been asking online, why did they kill off that character? Because we talked, you know, they are always saying things. They kill off this character because this person, it was a woman. They kill off this character, this and that, which I don't think this is happening on purpose. It's part of the storyline. So we're already seeing it this week with why did they kill off Gray? Um, and people are upset about that. What do you think? Well, you know, it, the criticism is, you know, we kill off the gay character. We kill off the trans character or one of the LB GTQ plus uh, characters and because it's become a trope. Um, but the thing is, Gray wasn't killed off. Gray was already dead. And I think that's a very important distinction. This wasn't done as a, as a shock moment like it was for Culber in season one of Discovery. Right. Um, this event made Adira who they are today. And quite honestly, this episode that we watched this week doesn't happen without that, that act, without that occurrence in the Star Trek universe. So it's not that they killed this character off needlessly. This character is dead. Um, and it matters to Adira. And I think, that's, I think it's a, a huge difference and distinction honestly i do think it's a huge difference as well casey what do you think yeah you know you, you think about it and I, I that i go now it's like we now have a diratal right yeah. and gray tall and that that whole dynamic and the actors portraying these characters are you know it's breaking new ground on television and i i think on certain things there's going to be possibly missteps or not the best things possible always represented because of of learning and growing um but part of it is if if gray as a character is alive then there is no adira tal just as plain as that. Yeah. As simple as that. Absolutely. Um, I do want to read um, some comments that we received um, this week in regards to the episode from one of our dear friends and a Patreon producer, Jess Vashon. I'm going to read this, quoting it, and then I'm going to turn it over to Bill for his thoughts on it. Quote, well, I've been mulling over the episode a bit. I'm thrilled to have non-binary and transgender actors. I'm thrilled to have non-binary and transgender characters. But... I have an issue with the writers going the trill transgender route. It's a trope. They could have brought the trill back and tied them into the story without having to make a weak hat tip to those who have argued that Jadzia was transgender. What would have been more satisfying for me to see is a storyline where it can be a human transgender person, perhaps a captain, 
where we are represented fully as adults and equally capable to everyone else. It's just that I don't see myself represented in a trill. I see myself more represented by Stamets. We want to be represented as ordinary, not extraordinary, end quote. And Bill, what are are your thoughts on that? I I have to agree with Jess. Uh, Jess has been a longtime friend of mine, close to 40 years, if not just over. And I I can appreciate what she's saying here um, because, uh, you know, if we're talking about representation, um, does making it a trill character, you know, sell it short? You know, is it short shrift? And I think to some extent it is. There has been that talk about, you know, well, was Jadzia transgendered for almost as long as that character has been around? Um, It does seem like they could have done it a little more boldly if they're going to come out and make a big statement about transgendered actors and transgendered characters, then it should be a bold step. That's not to say I didn't like what they did, but I, I think Jess's point is they could have done it much differently and still had greater value in the representation. I can respect that all around. I guess what my my question is, and I and I and forgive me if I sound ignorant with this because I don't mean to be. And, and Casey, I'll ask the question to you and give my thoughts. I'm I'm wondering if if Jess and others who might have the same feeling about what the writers are doing are saying, if they can't make a human character transgender, then they're once again belittling us for what we are. And if that's the case, I totally agree with what Jess says. That shouldn't have to be the case. It's like that it's it to me it's like it's like she's saying, well, they're gonna make the transgender character a different species so that we don't really have to really address it here in in on earth with human beings and if that's what the writers are doing which i i god i hope they're not i can't imagine that they are purposely um it would be a a a, a shame um a, and it would be a, a real insult to mm-hmm. so many people casey yeah um uh, just point blank part of this feels corporate to me um and and not uh ticking off part of your subscribers and part of your older subscribers uh, that are predominantly white male. And uh, I, I, I do concur that it could have been done in a bolder way and making a character an ordinary character like we have a bunch of other ordinary characters who are extraordinary in the show right. themselves. No. Yes. Um, but... Yeah, this felt corporate to me. Excellent discussion as always, gentlemen. Well, once again, we've reached that moment of discovering Trek where we take a moment to pause and reflect on those we've lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber and reflective part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those who have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Uh, Bill, I, I, I probably shouldn't be as happy as I am right now in the red shirt roll yeah. call, but there's a reason for it. <laughs> well, Dan, this has only happened a few times in Star Trek Discovery over the, the past couple of years, but we actually have a week where no names are entered into the red shirt roll call since there were no, um, shall we call it untimely expirations this week. It's rare, but it is a welcome sight in this segment, but fear not. 
I think that the body count is going to start ticking up pretty shortly. Ooh, I mean, I got nothing uh. to base that on, but I mean, it's Star Trek Discovery. Um, they usually don't go more than a week or so without a dead body. <laughs> wow, nice job, Captain Optimism. That's great. That's what I'm um, here well, for. You know what? <laughs> well, you know what? It doesn't matter that we didn't lose anybody. I'm still going to raise a glass of Synthahol Hall because why not? Synthahol. Hall. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Folks, we want to take a moment to thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. As we all deal with the continued effects of the coronavirus pandemic, we know that small business is an essential part of a recovering economy, and man, we are proud to support one of the best small businesses in the whole damn galaxy, and that's Fansets. Whether it's Star Trek, or Scooby-Doo, or DC Comics, or a whole ton of other franchises, Fansets has always put out superior products, and with new pins coming out each and every month, you are sure to have an ever-expanding collection of great collectible pins. Oh, without a doubt. November is certainly no different. On November 15th, you can look forward to adding some brand new Star Trek pins to your pinfolio. And they are uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard wearing his family crest, Hugh from Star Trek Picard, and... Man, I'm really excited about this one. The USS Cerritos from Star Trek Lower Decks. Now, Fansets always wants to let everyone know that they're working as hard as possible to get the Lower Decks uh, Combadge collection and the Voyager collector sets shipped out to customers as soon as they can. The pandemic has caused some big time delays in getting finished product from overseas, and they literally are doing everything they can to speed up the process. They truly appreciate your patience and support during these strange times. Yeah, they certainly do, Bill. And and you know what else they appreciate? That's the holiday season because it's become kind of a tradition to have a special holiday pin release, and this year is no different. Last year it was the adorable number one from Star Trek Picard in a Santa hat, and this year everyone's favorite holodeck training program badgie will be celebrating the season with you. So head on over to Fansets social media pages to get a glimpse of what is certain to be a quick sellout at fansets.com and of course with our special relationship with fansets you the listeners get to save money each and every week with our special discovering trek discount code head on over to fansets.com and put a whole bunch of stuff in your cart and at checkout enter the special discount code discovering trek that's discovering trek in all capital letters with no spaces and that's going to get you 15 percent off your entire order and hey don't forget that our u.s customers will get free shipping if you spend 30 dollars or more Fansets. Our pins have character, and we thank our buds at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And Casey, let's start with you. Uh, This week had a lot of feels to it, and uh, what do you think? You know, (laughs) the feels, like you said, were coming in a lot, and I keep coming back to that dinner scene, and I just... Oh, I identified so hard with that scene and what people are going through and trying their darndest to be holding everything together um, and at times not being able to do it. And you, you get the blowout 
and the the little fight or disagreement going on right there but still having and I may be self-referencing here but still knowing that you can disagree with the people you care the most about and have a a passionate disagreement with each other but at the end of the day you everybody's going to turn in inside to to protect each other it's also when there's an outside threat we turn outside and we all are are back to back and then when it's not that much of an outside threat we start turning in uh to each other's uh insecurities things that we don't like as much as we'd want to and um we can nitpick and that's kind of humanity uh i also found in this that you know, Blue and Ian are the latest representation of inclusion and change in Trek, and that these actors and their characters open up interactions with others. So different cultures, different cultural events, dining, music, art, etc., whatever, um, can elicit new thinking, uh, can elicit the dropping of walls and prejudices if one chooses to do so. So... Travel, whether it's physical or mental or emotional, destroys isolationism and encourages inclusion, strengthens humanity. And really, right now, what Blue and Ian are doing, this is a fantastic opportunity for the next generation of Trek fans with these two actors and characters for possibly decades to come to open up more representation for people who feel underrepresented and make us better as a community. Love. Love's eternal. Love is at the very core of the human spirit. You can't help but feel and actually be part of love throughout this episode. You see it in the love of Star Trek with the amazing writing of the episode. You see the pain and anguish that love actually can cause with the crew trying to deal with the stress of what has happened to their loved ones in the past and the ones they love in this new future. And oh my god, the love between Adira and Grey. A love in the face of death that rises above all. Adira is willing to have an alien creature put inside her not knowing the consequences because of her undying love of the dying Grey. Humans will do absolutely anything they can to help the person they love most. I know I would with Susan. And Adira jumping blind into this situation because of her love for Grey shows me that nothing is stronger in the human heart than love, Bill. And I love you, pal. <laughs> I love you too, man. Sorry, Casey. I, I, I love you too. And you too, Cassie. <laughs> um. <laughs> in the classic original series episode, The City on the Edge of Forever, Edith Keeler, played by Joan Collins, tells William Shatner's Captain Kirk, let me help. And Kirk replies, a hundred years or so from now, a famous novelist will write a classic using that theme. He'll recommend those three words even over, I love you. Well, there are three words spoken in this episode of Star Trek Discovery, which are even more important, and they're spoken by Dr. Hugh Culber. Are you okay? The words seem like simple ones, but they're ones that we often doubt that we should ask. Mental health is one of those things that people don't talk about because we're conditioned not to. We avoid conversations and we brush the feelings and the situations under the rug because they're burdensome, either to us or to the people to whom we might open up. More often than not, we lie about the answer because we don't want people to know we're not okay. 
People ask because they care and we have to learn to trust ourselves and provide an honest answer. And yes, I count myself in that group. There are plenty of times I've lied and said, yeah, I'm okay, even though I've been anything but, because largely I haven't wanted to appear as though I'm not doing well. The only way to start bridging that stigma regarding mental health issues is to keep asking, are you okay? Because somewhere, someone needs you to ask. And those three words, I recommend even more. Commendations, Palm Leaf of Axonar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation. Okay, guys, it's time for Starfleet Commendations. That was one of the best parts of the show because it's fun. We get to award, give, give non-existent awards to people uh, or things. So, so we're going to start with you, uh, Casey. What do you have for this week with Forget Me Not? Well, I tell you guys, the, it, it's all the actors for me th- this week with Emily Coots, Mary Wiseman, Lou DeBario. Um, with Emily Coots, her portrayal of Detmer in this episode really, really hits home with me. Detmer is trying to push through and be present, uh, but fighting herself internally and not being able to easily accept or ask for help. And and seeing that struggle, I found just a, a wonderful, amazing performance. Mary Wiseman, the naturalness that Mary brings in her character uh, is I think sometimes in danger of being taken granted for because I just buy this character as is completely. Um, in the dinner scenes, Tilly is selling and I'm buying. Tilly shows strength in her ever-present compassion. And when she's there for Saru, it's just like, I, I, I got your back. I'm not going to have to say it, but I'll, I'll come back here. I'll come back to the table that was as comfortable as all heck. And, and... Thank you for trying to do what you're doing. And then Blue Del Barrio, I mean, after Adira gains the ability to access and hold some of the previous host memories, there's a tonal shift in the acting done by Blue. And this is a this is a tough episode with so much emotion going on. And to be able to pull that off and pull it off believably is that's an undertaking. So my hats off to to those three. We um we have very similar commendations uh, this week. My first one goes to Emily Coots. I thought this was a breakout episode for for her and 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 her character. We saw her shell crack right before our eyes at that dinner table, um, and as she tried to reset the haiku, it got worse, and then it got worse again until everything just boiled over with her and Stamets and the rest of the table. Honestly, um, I thought Emily just did a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, and as with you, Casey, Blue Del Barrio for me was just so great. You're absolutely right. When she got out of that pool, she was standing different. She was she was projecting differently because now she has those memories. And I think it's really um, a testament to the skills of the actor when they're able to do so many different things within one episode and it's flawless. And it's it, there's no break in the, the acting ability. It's as if the character's supposed to flow like that, of course, which it is. So I thought that Blue did a fantastic job. And, and those were emotional scenes. And she and it, nothing seemed 
acting to me. It seemed real. And that's a testament to uh, the ability of their performance. Um, and also, I got to give my hats off this week. I think it's one of the first times I've done it to Wilson Cruz. We talked about it at the beginning of the episode. I thought his medical log really set the tone for the episode. He is a perfect medical professional on discovery he has the intelligence he has the empathy he has the want to heal and i think all of those things come through just in his voice during that medical log um and not just in the medical log we got to see him a lot in this episode doing the things that he likes to do best which is helping people so i really loved seeing uh, wilson um for an extended amount of time this week bill uh couldn't agree more my commendations this week, I start off with the visual effects team. Um, and I'm sorry that I'm not naming them all individually because I'm sure it's a ton of people. I keep bringing this amazing collection of people up because of the work they've done. And it's nothing short of incredible. When you start to think that uh, they've been doing a lot of this at home during a pandemic, it makes it even more impressive. Everything from the accident on board the generation ship to the scenes in the symbiont pool were just truly breathtaking and added so much to the story. My second commendation this week is for director Hanley Culpepper. This episode is directed so beautifully and it flows so well. Um, but that's not a surprise to me because every episode that Hanley has done has been amazing, including her work on Star Trek Picard. Uh, this week is just no exception. And then finally, my last commendation of the week go to Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander. It's hard to believe we had less than 10 minutes with these two together on screen. But the relationship portrayed by these two actors was so rich and so meaningful. It was truly beautiful, and I loved every moment of it. One thing I wanted to talk about, um, we'll, we'll stay right here with the accommodations because you just brought up those two actors, Bill. I loved what you said earlier in the show in regards to this reminding you of The Visitor and how powerful an episode it, that is for both of us and for so many Star Trek fans. And... When you said that, I kind of I kind of did a Spock eyebrow. I was like, wow, I've never really thought of that. And I think for me, this episode is super emotional, but I don't know if I have that amount of feeling in it, and, but only for this reason. With Deep Space Nine, we've been with the characters for years at that point where The Visitor happened. This episode, we've only seen these characters together this one time, so it's not that level for me. But what I will say on a positive note is for it to be such a an amazingly emotional and powerful episode shows just how good these two did in acting out this episode. Well, so yeah, absolutely. I think it's the same conversation we had with the death of Arium last season. People say, right. how can you get so attached to a character that you knew nothing about? Well, here we are. We're attached to these two characters and we know so little about them. We know a little bit more about Adira because we've had Adira for an extra week, but we know nothing about gray, but the level mm -hmm. of emotion and sacrifice and pain and loss that exists there is equivalent to the end of the visitor when Jake decides that self-sacrifice is the only way to set things right and Benjamin Sisko has to live with that knowledge the rest of his life right um it's, it's just it's utterly moving and I I just uh, I, I can't help but think about it in those terms personally long-range scan of planet complete well, um, it's time for uh, long-range scans. Bill, you actually you talked about it a few minutes ago. You got one right, and Detmer is suffering from PTSD, so congratulations. I got one last week, even though it was the biggest softball ever pitched in a game. Um, but I'm going to take it. Um, so let's talk about what we think is going to happen next in Discovery. Casey, what do you think is going to happen, either next week or later on in the season? 
Well, when I, I think Adiratol becomes the other spore drive biological interface. Oh, oh so, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going out there with that. Um, I also think the Federation will not be rebuilt this season, but possibly Earth, Trill, Titan, and maybe a little, a, a few other planets maybe join up together and, and we see a, a rebuild but I'd be very surprised if they crammed the Federation is back in just one one season. And finally, I think that at some point we are going to get recognized on the show that Culber is the glue of the crew and that they all recognize it and get some type of props for him in some way. Bill? Well, I've actually got a couple of small predictions. Um I think first, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the first appearance of Zora this season. I think that Zora is going to get worse before it gets better. I think it's going to pose a problem at some point this season um, and potentially endanger the crew at a critical moment where it makes a decision to protect the crew that may not be the right one. And then, um, you know, Casey, you mentioned Adira and and uh, and the Discovery crew and possibly becoming the other spore drive navigator. I think it's going to be a little different. I think that Adira is going to help them because of Adira's vast knowledge from the last 900 years to improve the spore drive um, so that it doesn't necessarily need a human or humanoid navigator. Um, I think they're going to find a way to bridge that gap technology. Okay. Neither of you guys saw my notes, but no. wow, both of you were pretty much right on with what I was saying. Mine was a little bit different from Casey's. Casey's was a shocker. I didn't think of that. But what I was going with, I think Tilly's going to be the next person to have an interface. She's really working on stuff with Stamets, and she's talking about this whole dark matter project that, she's, that she thinks might have some some possibilities. And I think after the end of this episode, you saw that they were willing to work at it together whereas Stamets wasn't wanting to do that before, I think that that's going to help, and she may be the key to having an additional person be able to use the spore drive. And the other thing that I have for a scan is very similar to Bill's, is the sphere data right now is trying to protect the crew. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case all the time. I think something's going to happen. I think that it's not going to protect the crew. It's going to kind of do a whole um, um, Skynet thing where it needs to wipe out everyone because it is the perfect um, uh, creation. And maybe that's why it's abandoned in the future. I know that it it's staying there because the crew appeared to abandon ship and it was told to wait there until they returned. But who knows if that's actually what happened. But I think the sphere data might become a problem later on in the season. And it is very, very sad that, of course, next week we will not have the dulcet tones <laughs> of Casey Shafsky on with us. I'm so broken uh, up by to, it. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. Oh, man. Heart <laughs> But uh, that's okay. So uh, what do we have to look forward to next week since we won't be looking forward to seeing you, Casey? Well, the wonderful Sarah will be back, so you get to look forward to that. And next week... After reuniting with the remains of Starfleet and the Federation, the USS Discovery and its crew must prove that a 930-year-old crew and starship are exactly what this new future needs. It's Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 5, Die Trying. Until then, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us where? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts or by heading to discoverytrek.com. Plus, now you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by supporting us on Patreon. Get access to our unedited recordings of each and every episode on the network, as well as other exclusive content. Plus, there's our annual supporters pin from Fansets and our exclusive Trek Geeks Podcast Network t-shirt, along with so many other perks. We want to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek. We are so grateful for their support. Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Ken Bird, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Rachel Delaney, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, some jerk named Casey Shafsky, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. If you'd like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for Discovering Trek episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks where subscription levels start for as little as $1 a month. $1? I didn't know you were from New England. Dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> Casey, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you online? Uh, usually pornhub.com. <laughs> or or check me out i guess at twitter with casey shafsky that's it baby i don't, I don't even know where to go with that bill so just tell them where you can be found uh, yeah on twitter you can find me at trek geek bill or of course uh i'm always lurking around our official facebook group camp kittimer um the official group of the trek geeks podcast network uh, me as well over at camp kittimer all the time love uh hearing from everyone over there you can also find me on twitter at trek geek dan and that's going to do it for this week in our episode uh, discussion of episode four, Forget Me Not. An absolute emotional roller coaster. And that is a ride I will go on time after time because it was just so well done. As always, we want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe each and every week. We wouldn't be here without your support, and we thank you so very much. We'll be back next week to discuss Die Trying, and we hope you won't forget to join us. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from Sarica Vulcan. What greater source of peace exists than our ability to love our enemies? And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.